0: Hello, this is the Ski Podcast, the perfect podcast for the armchair skier, which essentially is all of us And right now. Um, let's do a quick time check. It's that period of life when the world went into confinement, just so we're clear of what's going on before we crack on with the podcast. The Ski Podcast is sponsored by Switzerland Tourism. Because in a country where there are 57 peaks over 400 metres, you're going to get some great skiing, right? Uh, And some of those places offer summer and extended skiing, which is worth remembering. Uh, Zermatt, Glacier, Paradise is one great place, the Sasfe Glacier, um, both open in the summer for skiing. And also um, you'll find extended skiing, Glacier 3000 and Engelberg as well. That's exciting. Um, Hi, Ian, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thank you very much, Jim. Ooh good short uh, short hello. Um coming up in today's show we're going to be talking to Graham Bell there'll be more about crime in Aspen Ian has some information about Andaman we have a book review and we will be talking about something called COVID-19. We are joined by one of the UK's most famous skiers normally at this time of year he is a busy man presenting things like Ski Sunday and appearing all across the Alps but uh, as skiing has been put on hold for the winter, he's had to find other ways to be the centre of attention, which might explain why he's been skiing out of his loft and agreeing to appear on our podcast. Thank you very much, Graham. Welcome to our podcast. Um, Hi. What have, you, what have you been doing uh, to stave off the boredom of isolation?
1: Well, I think it's very difficult um, because, you know, the things that I really enjoy um getting out into the mountains you know getting you know ski touring this is the time of the year to go ski touring um you know that's that's part of my psyche part of my character um risk taking um and you know generally kind of having a good time and and partying those are the three things that i would say that kind of i would be doing at this time of the year and those are the three things that have been completely locked down um you know you can't really you know Seriously, take any kind of risk because you don't really want to hurt yourself this time of year. And uh, and 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 basically, getting out into the high mountains is is not a good idea either. well it's bad. We, we, we and should probably yeah, so we should telling...
2: clarify, Graham. We should probably clarify what we're talking about because although um, it is, you know, the second most viral thing around uh, at the moment, there've been like over three hundred thousand views. I see of this uh, of this video. Which is uh, you posted it on your Facebook page, and it's entitled uh, "Is it the House and uh, House and Calm, the legendary yeah, House so, and Calm?"
1: Yeah, so I was basically getting cabin fever, and I just thought, "What can I do? What can I? What would I normally be doing this time of year?" Well, normally I'd be kind of skiing down a, a slope with a camera, so I was like, "Why don't I set that up?" And I, I was watching a lot of um, skate videos, and there's a lot of home skating going on. Skateboarders, kind of, you know, in their living rooms. And I just thought, could I do that on skis? Yeah, is it possible? And uh, yeah, so basically went outside. I've got uh, a ski chair in the back garden uh, with some skis cut in half. I just took the smallest ones off that and mounted them ah. with some bindings. So I had some very small skis, and I thought, well, let's I see if we can they do this. Very
2: short. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So I ended up um, kind of skiing from the loft, jumping down from the loft. Uh, skiing down the first flight upstairs, and then kind of around the living room. We set it up basically. Didn't sure. all? F- it wasn't. It so, wasn't all so, filmed in a one.
3: Did you? Did you oh, have to? Uh, <laughs> uh,
2: did you have to uh, do a lot of persuasion to get uh, you know your wife to let you ski through the house?
1: Uh, no. Well, Sarah was okay with it. Um, it was Lottie that got really pissed off because she was sleeping, <laughs> and I was in the loft right above her head, banging around for the first hour. And she didn't really know what was going on, so she was already pretty um, pretty pissed off when I then asked her to kind of come and be in it.
0: I think it's nice to see Graham that your um, loft is uh, a similar to state that, than everyone else's as well. Did you have to? Did you tidy that up? Uh, no, that's ever?
1: kind of it. That's its normal state. In fact, that's it being tidy actually. To be fair, it's normally Impressive. a lot messier than that. But, yeah, I. I, I, I um, I tidied it as one of the kind of things that I was doing to stave off the of the boredom. I mean, the thing is, I normally get it anyway, but I normally get it. I I call it seasonally affected disorder in reverse. So I normally get this in May uh, when the when the snow melts and I come home. And and May is normally a very kind of quiet month for for me anyway. Um, And so, you know, it's kind of it's just come early. May's come early. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah. and it's, you know there's no work there's nothing other that's the other thing that's that's kind of like scary for me is that I had everything planned out for the summer and I had all these jobs different different uh, jobs the Olympic Games obviously um, various different jobs pre Olympic Games and they're all on a wall planner so that everyone can see where I am and what I'm going to be doing and I just had to take um, you know some acetone to the wall planner and just rub it all out. Yeah. and now I've got a wall planner that's completely empty up until next January. Well,
2: we're, we're delighted to have been able to put an appointment into your calendar, in Rome. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, are tell, lucky, we, you are very lucky. You are very lucky. Not again, many people get you've to appear. on you have obviously
2: now podcast. got a personal best in the in the house and car. or will get <laughs> a
1: different version I of it or like that. I don't know. Maybe we could do something next year. We'll find uh, we'll find something. Uh, something else ridiculous to try and ski down. Didn't, um, Next who was it? Year, who, who was it skied the Great Wall. Who was it? Skied the Great Wall. It was, was it Gel? Candide. Yeah, Candide. He did the Great Wall. Yeah. So there's, there's, and then uh, the escalator. Who did the escalator? The Norwegian. It was a Norwegian guy who did the escalator. A, a the few angel. people have. You know, I have a copy
2: of... But that was um, illegal. Yeah, I have a copy of... I can't remember what video it was, but one of those early ones It was um, shot by, like, a Jim Adlington uh, or someone like that, of, of Pat Sharples, who's currently a uh, coach uh, GB Snow Sports, skiing down an escalator in Liverpool Street Station.
0: Wasn't it in one of those Season Wars videos?
2: Season Wars, there you go, that was the one. Excellent. It wasn't Jim Adlington. It's a Cool Chevelle season video. I think Pat filmed it. <laughs> yeah, he did yeah. indeed. Yeah, So indeed. there's
1: there's things out there to be done. Various different challenges <laughs> we could See, do. I was gonna say,
0: Graham, you don't think you peaked too early, like we've got thirteen weeks of this potentially. There's no don't get all your ideas out in one go. Let's save it up. We've got a few months to go. And and I hopefully get my son a, you, a slalom course. Your stairs are quite thin. <laughs> yeah. So, Cool,
2: that's that's brilliant, uh, Graham. We talk about maybe having another uh, interview uh, at some point, a sort of longer version. Maybe we could do that at some point down the track. Cool, cool, brilliant.
0: Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much for getting up,
2: and uh, yeah. and this will go live, Jim. What in uh, towards the end of this week? Yeah.
0: Yeah, maybe Friday if you're really lucky. Happy indoor skiing, Graham. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Cheers. Cheers. See yeah. Nice. Survive the lockdown. Brilliant. Um, well, that was kind of Graham to uh, pop along. Do you think he's going to be buying this Lego model, Ian, to keep him uh, busy? It sounds
2: like he's uh, you know, very keen to keep all things uh, skiing uh, going. This uh, Lego model you're talking about is the Snow Groomer, which we first mentioned in episode 40. And I like I like the idea that because we mentioned it, because there was a, um, it's not a
0: crowdfunder, was it? It was like a petition for Lego to make it. And apparently mm-hmm.
4: it's going to happen. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep looks like it they've got 10,000 people to say I don't know if you actually have to confirm and say you're going to buy it or you just go I quite like it I might buy it right now I'd probably buy it if it was on sale because it looks like a, a fairly I mean half an hour a half a day's worth of projects right
2: comp- it looks fairly complicated but I like the idea that it's fully remote controlled like if you're really missing it you know you could set up something in the garden there and uh I don't
0: know groom the sand pit or something like that, yeah, I mean, yeah, i mean there is the good news is that there's been no snowfall, so I haven't had to clear any um but it would be sad if I had this toy because I wouldn't be able to use it I mean, there's a little patch I've almost been doing in some sort of um snow farming in the car park where the the plough draw uh, pushed it into the corner, and it's covered in gravel. Um, and it hasn't melted compared to everywhere else, so I could maybe use it on. Okay,
2: that. well, um, if if it goes well, it will be in production soon. The uh, the Prinoff Light
0: Wolf uh, Lego Snow Groomer. It's no piston bully. That's it's no piston bully. That's that's the truth, though. Um, Ian, you have um, have been chatting more to your friend Jason over an. Astro... Well, yeah, actually, we didn't
2: include it last week because uh, we sort of did ran we not. No, we ran out of time a little bit, um, so we moved on. So this was this was me talking to Jason from the Aspen Times about um, this outrageous, uh, which is a word I use in the interview uh, a couple of times. This ski thief in Aspen. Let's let's have a listen. Great. Okay, so um, I'm here today with uh, Jason Auslander from the Aspen Times. Um, great to great to meet you online. Uh, uh, Jason, how are you?
4: Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. Good. And
2: um, remind me, so you're obviously a journalist with the Aspen Times. What's the the, the area that you cover?
4: Um, well, I'm a reporter for the Aspen Times, one of a few of us here. Um, my main beats are the crime, cops and courts, and I also cover the Pitkin County government, which is the county that we're
2: in here. Okay. At. Okay, well, that sounds possibly less interesting than than the story that I came across from, uh, I guess, about a, a month ago, about a guy called um, Derek Johnson, and it, this really is quite incredible. I wondered if you could just summarise for us how Derek Johnson ended up cropping up uh, on your radar on the uh, on the crime desk at, at Aspen.
4: Yeah, no problem. Derek, Derek was uh, he's been around Aspen for long time, a couple decades, maybe two and a half decades at this point. He started with another guy, one of the initial snowboard shops here back in the early 90s when you couldn't snowboard on Aspen Mountain and snowboarding was sort of new. Most skiers didn't like it. I'm not sure that's changed a whole lot, but whatever. <laughs> um, and so he and his partner opened a, a snowboard shop called D&E Snowboards, not long after, well, several years later, they sold it to the Aspen Skiing Company, who runs right. the whole you know, thing here. Yeah. Um, and at that point, Aspen Skiing Company made him an executive and eventually, or at that time, I'm not sure which, put him in charge of their rental slash retail division. Right. Okay. So he proceeded for the next 17 years to occupy that position at the company there. He was one of their top executives not a vice president but he was a called a director and uh for the yeah for the next 17 years he occupied that position and he also served a term on the aspen city council in 2013 he ran for mayor he didn't win right so an uh,
2: upstanding member of society uh, by the the sounds of it
4: oh yeah i mean i could go on and on he coached youth (laughs) football he was on the hockey the youth hockey board i mean on and on yeah
2: but what so, we can tell from that is that there must be, uh, there's
4: obviously, uh, you know, a, a sting in this story. Yeah, right. So last, I guess, late last year, no, 18, 2018, we started hearing, I'm not the actual ski ski beat reporter. So other sources started kind of chiming in that something was going on at the ski company because Derek had been removed. What ended up happening, um, here we are. You know, a year and a half later, uh, well, a year and a few months later, that Derek and his wife were essentially had over those say about fifteen years, stolen about thirteen thousand pairs of skis that was were bought by the Aspen Skiing Company as part of their retail operation, and sold them on eBay. eBay, uh, this these thirteen thousand pairs of skis were paid for six million dollars. The Aspen Skiing Company paid for them. And then Derek and his wife sold them for about $3.2 million uh, over the course of that period uh, on, on eBay.
2: You know, it's, I mean, I can't help. I know it's wrong, but I can't help smiling when I hear that because it's just outrageous.
4: It's I, just, outrageous. I can't believe you know that, that anyone would do that. The cherry on top of the whole Sunday is that at the time they were doing this, they built the ski company for the ski boxes that they sent the stolen skis to their their eBay customers in Wow, okay yeah. I mean, it's pretty I mean, how,
2: much, how much does thirteen thousand skis represent in terms of the whole stock that Aspen might own?
4: um well that you know that's hard to say these were high end what they call demo skis a lot is is what you're right. selling yeah and um there were some reports finally that have come out in the last couple months some letters from the ski company. the ski company is very closed <laughs> closed mouthed about this whole thing. They haven't said much at all until until recently, but uh he was ended up he ended up buying like two to three times the number of these and sort of intimidating anybody as the reports go, who questioned his, his buying of these. Right. Okay. So he was over
2: buying and then, and then selling as well. I mean, and that's a a major operation,
4: 13,000. What what sort of period of time did you say it was over? It was over between 13 and 15 years. It started out as a legit deal with the ski company. They, they, they kind of had a deal where he would take their, their, basically use demo skis at the end of the season and sell them and these skis at this point weren't worth a whole lot of money and the, the operation after a couple of years wasn't making anybody much money so upon mutual agreement they said okay well we're not going to do this anymore well okay. it turns out he just cut them out of the loop he kept stealing their stuff more and more yeah. and you know ended up
2: and they're selling is. so 13 years so they're selling roughly a thousand pairs a year so a bit of maths uh, what is that like? Like forty
4: pairs of skis a week, or something like that? Yeah, it, I think it broke down to about two and a half a day for the last fifteen years, and and, and then in the end, back their their last full year was two thousand seventeen. They were selling five pairs of skis a day for like making like two grand a day, something like that.
2: I mean, you know, they're, they're, they must have had couriers coming to the house the whole time. You know, the the operation from an operational point of view, it's quite admirable that they were able to run that kind of business. But you're saying that they sold it for three, and, and I presume they didn't, um, I haven't actually uh, looked at this, they didn't declare that revenue, or did they declare oh, that? Revenue? No, no,
4: no. They, 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 what they did was pay state sales tax, um, and that was right. it. So they didn't yeah. declare, I mean, they didn't, they didn't pay anything for them, and then they didn't go- declare the income that they received. At yeah, and so much. at some point, Aspen, you know, eventually, uh, after 13
2: years or whatever, they someone eventually clicked. So you'd said there'd been these rumors on the ski side of things that, you know, they they worked it out somehow that he had been doing it. Well,
4: yeah. I mean, clearly it took them long enough and, and they would tell you that they're a family run business and they trusted people, you know, and you can see that. I mean, that's, you know, they don't anymore, but yeah, that's what happened. They, what happened was, um, one of the senior vice presidents became his supervisor. And I think somebody took a close look at the books and were like, you know, what is, what is going on here? And they started investigating and, you know, this is what they came to.
2: Just shocking. So what um, did he, um, you know, what was his sentence? I mean, he's been convicted now, hasn't he?
4: Yeah, well, he pleaded guilty to one count of felony theft between 100000 and a million dollars, which was a plea deal with the district attorney's office. And he, the judge, just uh, last month, sentenced him to six years in prison, state prison here. Right. And so, yeah, that's where he is now. He's up in the north uh, eastern corner of the state near the sort of right. Nebraska. Six,
2: six years was a plea bargain for pleading guilty. He could have got, uh, if, he, if he tried to claim, I don't know how he would have thought well, he would get away with it, but he could have been sentenced for more than that.
4: Yeah, he could have easily. The plea deal called for the judge. The judge, basically the, the district attorney works out the, the deal and then the judge has a sentencing range and he can give him the max, the minimum, and he was facing between four and 12 so, the judge right. gave him right in the middle okay and and he you know
2: did this theft and and ran this eBay business in conjunction with his wife, but his wife i I did read got a much shorter sentence than than he did
4: she did she received she was just sentenced a couple of weeks ago she received uh five years of probation, which is no joke. But also 90 days in the county jail here in Aspen, um, right? Which, depending on how you look at it, may be a joke. But no, it's a it's a if you want to do time in jail, that, that's a good place to do it, is what I'm told.
2: Right, um, because it's a county jail rather than the other one you talking about.
4: Uh, the yeah, but yeah. The, her lawyers went really hard at the district attorney's office in an attempt to get her not to plead guilty to a fel- to felony theft, because she tried to make forcefully tried to make the argument that she didn't know that this was happening for all this time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, that it that really is
2: uh <laughs> taking the well okay so she thought that he was giving her these skis to kind of send out and uh, on ebay and it was just like a legitimate business that was just something they were doing she never considered where they came from
4: Yeah, apparently. I mean, that would that would have been her story, apparently, that she just figured they got all these skis for free from her husband's um, business or job and then never had to pay them any cut of the money that they were making out of it. So it's somewhat ridiculous. But she the district attorney's office obviously felt the same way. So they held out and said, no, you're going to have to plead to a felony. And then because they have they have three kids. One is one is above the age of 18, but two are in middle school. So I think okay. that basically they allowed her to stay out of prison to raise her kids. I think. Right.
2: OK. OK. Well, you know, regardless, it's uh, it's one of these things. It's just it's just so outrageous. <laughs> you can't really even imagine it could be true, uh, but justice has been seen to be uh, to be done. And um, I would imagine that uh, Aspen will probably be tightening up on their internal procedures.
4: I would think so. An interesting thing, though, I wanted to add, I'm working on a story right now. We have the Aspen Times has a weekly sort of magazine that comes out every every week. And okay. I just wrote a story because because as the crime reporter here, I write about basically two things. I write about cocaine. And I write about people right. embezzling from rich people, right. because clearly Aspen has a lot of money. So when, you, when you're when you here for a long time, you see this pop up all the time. People embezzle from rich people to various extents all the time. But this one, by I mean, $6 million, this one by far takes the cake. And you can look back you know, 20, 25 years, and these embezzlement cases happen with absolute regularity, whether it's $6,000. You know a bookkeeper from a local insurance agent all the way up to you know bookkeepers for restaurants and then all of a sudden you know you've got this guy stealing blindly for 15 years so
2: yeah okay that's pretty incredible that is shocking sorry did you say you've just got another story coming out about that or about something else the weekly one
4: yeah yeah that'll be out next week in the aspen times weekly Yeah. Um, uh, looking at and looking at, you know, the absolute just personal betrayal that people felt, you know, above and beyond the fact that Johnson cost people promotions. He cost them, uh, you know, money in terms of bonuses. He cost them 401k retirement um, contributions. He cost, you know, and apparently he was a bit of a bully to to some people. So there was that aspect to it. But there was also the aspect to, you know, he's he worked alongside these people for damn near 20 years. so. As the prosecutor put in this story, he's like, if I was in their skin, I'd look back on this and think, you know, as he's kind of glad handing me at the ball game, he's also stealing me blind with his other hand. And you think just the, you know, the the depth of betrayal was was pretty deep. Well, I'm sure it will take the community a little while
2: to uh, to get over it, but um, as it, as we said, at least justice has been seen to be done. That that is brilliant, Jason. Thank you for giving up your uh, time, and we worked out the uh, the time difference between us to to make this happen. Um, really appreciate you coming
0: on the call.
4: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I promise I would definitely edit that in this time in, and uh, remember I did it. Um, you say in an interview it can't be true, but you know it definitely was true. Think of all the chalet hosts that used to um, sell chalet wine back to their guests. <laughs> no, oh. oh come on! There were so many chalet hosts. You know they you, you get a bottle of wine for dinner, but if you want another one, it's ten euros. Uh,
2: I've, I've to be honest with you, I've not heard of that one. But that was probably because I was a resort manager, and that would, maybe if that happened, it, it didn't get that far to me. Or oh, that close to me, but um, certainly, you know, um, people fiddling their après ski or something like that is uh, is something that was heard of.
0: Oh yeah, there was only one person on the pub crawl. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly, one person on the pub crawl because you know the you know the pub uh, uh, manager uh, fairly well, and you just uh, not that I ever did this, but I heard this happened. Uh, you'd get a receipt from them for uh, the appropriate number of people.
0: Speaking of pubs, my friend used to um, uh, just. Steal all the steel acquire all the Guinness stuff that used to come in, you know, like the mirrors and all that sort of stuff. Just stick that stick that straight on eBay. Make a tidy profit.
2: Right. Okay. Well, so, so you're saying that um that Derek uh, Johnson isn't uh, unusual despite the fact he what did he um uh,
0: sell now is he three point two million pounds worth of skis. I mean that is pretty incredible. It makes it it makes my um me It makes um, the time I lost Crystal Holidays um, half a million pounds seem um, like a drop in the ocean.
2: Oh, my God, that's that's got to be a subject for a future podcast. Have
0: I not told you that story?
2: No, go on, then. Do you want to do it now?
0: No, we haven't really got time, to be honest, and I've got, um, we've got quite a lot to talk about, and I've got to go and homeschool. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure I must have told you that story. Um, so, shall we? What's... Uh, I've lost my spot now there. Uh, and we're going to go straight into reviews. So early on in the show, Ian, we must have some good reviews. Is it because uh, we're bribing people? Uh, well, it could be because there is a competition out there at the moment. We're ge- we're giving away a
2: bunch of free stuff, lots of free goodies that are picked up from Resort. Uh, and if you give us a review on iTunes uh, up until I think it's the middle of this month, then you can go into the draw. I'm going to pick one at random. But as it goes, we have had quite a few reviews, a couple of them by email. Doug uh, sent me an email saying, listen to your podcast on a run today. Very good. And uh, and Christian um, also emailed say he loves the podcast and he specified that he likes the older episodes, uh, you know, one to 12, which I do. But we've had a few on iTunes. Do you want to read uh, any or a few?
0: There you go. Yeah, I mean I don't think we need to read them all, do we? Um, what have we got here? Um, Lisa Marf says, since I started listening to the podcast, I have not contracted coronavirus, <laughs> which is good good news. And uh, what's more, I've really, been I mean, I thought originally when I read that that she said she had contracted it, and now I've seen the not. I'm a bit disappointed by the review, <laughs> to be honest. Um, uh, it goes on. It goes on to say what's more, I've been inspired to take up skiing. It sounds like a blast. In all seriousness, Jim's electric wit and Ian's dulcet tones are the perfect light relief in a time of global uncertainty. top knot interviews, breaking news, razor-sharp political insight. And the <laughs> Ski Podcast has it all, 4.8 out of 5. There we go. I mean, I've got nothing to add to that.
2: No, that's a good one. I mean, you know, if we have it all, shouldn't we have 5 out of 5? I mean, yeah, I'm not being picky or anything like that, but, you know.
0: <laughs> I think it's your dulcet tones that let us down.
2: Right, okay, we've got a, a, you know, a J V underscore JC, another five star from them. Thank you very much. Real people talking about real ski stuff. Uh, Kitten Ski, um, four star, some informative chats with uh, guests and amongst the two presenters, just about the, the right length and keep it up during the current shutdown. Well, we're doing our very best, and regular listeners will know that um, Jim has produced a uh, Avalanche special which is now available uh, as well to listen to. So we've got some extra... And and
0: essential listening right now. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Essential listening.
0: (laughs) Yeah, someone did point that out. But the fact... It's always going to be there. It's not going anywhere. Uh, Let's do one more and we'll save the rest for next time. Jed Ainsworth says, Jim and Ian have a wealth of experience in the ski industry with Jim and De and Ian back in Blighty. Their witty banter casts an eye over all things related to the ski industry. With expert guests providing valuable insight. This is compulsive listening. The entire back catalogue is also well worth listening. Not 12, not up to 12 though. Don't listen to those ones. Um, uh, congratulations chaps on your half century. Yeah, we've done 50 so far. So thank you very much. Um, it, w- one thing there though, you know, some people have names and they seem to, you know, it has a, a nice order to it. I don't think Jim and Ian or Ian and Jim really flow in either
5: direction. My kind of thinking there.
2: From The yeah,
0: point of view uh, that you um, always you know, have fish and chips, but you yeah. can have Ian and Jim. I think Jim and Ian, personally, there we go. Um, that's fine by me. Um, but I just say, I don't think you know, I think it's you know, it's not essential that it has to go that way around. But there we go. That is that. Thank you very much. Um, like Ian said, there is um, a competition. So if you put us uh, on uh, iTunes, you might win a bag load of stuff, which is pretty essential um you can get that and don't forget to share us with your ski friends um you know go onto facebook and you know why don't you share it into one of your school your school ski groups um and let them know all about us that's a good way of sharing us because the more people we have the bigger the prizes could be potentially um so ian that was reviews uh one of them someone said they liked our resort reviews um got anything for like might suit that uh resort reviews well yeah um when when the curtain came
2: down on skiing in uh Switzerland i happened to be out in andermatt and a uh, very interesting resort uh andermatt and uh, have a little uh, interview here um which i think uh you know will g- will give us a bit more information about it Great, so I'm I'm here in Andermat, uh, and right now I'm with uh, Lars Werner, who's sales manager here at the uh, the Radisson Blue in Andermat, and I, we were chatting earlier, and I found it really interesting um, about the history of uh, of Andermat because it's always been the position of the uh, town has always made it very important because it's at the bottom of the uh, the art. Pass right, but you were saying to me that that changed. You know, historically, the importance as they yes. changed the roads. Yes. So
3: first of all, great being here with you today, Ian. So yeah, it changed a lot in in the in the eighteen eighty two when the Gotthard Tunnel was opened. Right. And the the traffic started going uh, through the tunnel and not through over the pass anymore and hence you didn't need Anamad as a, as a location for okay. resting before going over the... So that was the first
2: kind of decline of the resort, but then it kind of came back into an ascendancy again because it was in an important military strategic position and the army had a base here.
3: It became more and more uh, important in the beginning of the 20th century um, and then especially, of course, um, with the outbreak of the First and, and then the Second World War and it was part of the um Ritui swiss where the where the Swiss army would have um withdrawn from from the lowlands and, and basically defended Switzerland up in the Alps uh, against the Germans and and okay. Nazis. but that base closed down when it, when was that it started so they they kept it open quite a long time even after the second world war yeah. but um then the the military basically left in the 1995 1998 okay years so like 20 years ago, which is not that long ago, actually.
2: Yeah, so the second sort of decline in Andermatt. And then things changed uh, again with a visit uh, by uh, an Egyptian businessman uh,
3: called um, Sami Saviris. Sami Saviris, right. So, yeah, he's, he's known for building destinations and his, his first one was Alguna in Egypt. Yeah. And so, uh, the Swiss government invited him to, to consult them on what they could possibly do with Annamat. Yeah. And so he came here in 2005 to to help them, and he basically fell in love with this region and then decided to, to develop and, and invest uh, in this region himself. Right, but it
2: wasn't... He, he fell in love with it, but he also saw, like, an opportunity, right? I mean, he's a, he's a businessman, right? He's right. looking so to he's, try and... He's a
3: businessman, so I think he does really love this this region, yeah. but, of course, there's... Probably money, uh, thoughts behind that as well. Yeah,
2: but you know, ultimately he has invested a huge amount into the area because we started off with um, you know the chedi, which is across the road. Now that's a five star property. Typically, it costs about a thousand Swiss francs a night. Is that that's, right?
3: That's what their average uh, daily rate is. Yes.
2: Right. Okay. So you know, five star hotel, which costs something around in the region of five hundred million Swiss francs to build to construct. It, yes. Which is pretty incredible, but that was a first uh, kind of property. Yeah. Then a lot of investment into the infrastructure
3: in resort. I think you were saying to me firstly they did the old lifts, is that right? Yeah, so they started, they wanted to make Andermatt more more attractive and it used to have a very, very small and very old uh, ski resort and that's where they updated all the old lifts. But in the second step they also connected Andermatt to Zidrun and Disentis, which is in the Grison part of, of Switzerland and making it now the biggest uh, ski resort in central Switzerland with 180 kilometers of slopes. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> I,
2: mean, that's, I mean, I've been out in the area. Unfortunately, we're in a situation where the lifts of, have uh, of, uh, closed, down, but you know, you can see yeah. uh, uh, the area, and I came through on the train um, from the Rosa direction, and we came through Cedron uh, Desentes uh, on the way, and it's it's a big area. So they invested in, upgraded the old lifts, uh, the new lift, so also built um, uh, from scratch, an eighteen-hole golf course in the valley.
3: Yes, yes. So that was to make the destination attractive in the summer as well. Yeah. And um, there's has been around since two thousand thirteen as well. Yeah. So the GD and the opened at the end of two thousand thirteen. Right. And then the lifts, like the new connection, was was done in, in two thousand nineteen for the two thousand nineteen season. Yeah. And um, yes. and obviously
2: the building we're in at the moment, Radisson Blue, is a four-star property, so, right? Yes. Uh, this opened in twenty eighteen, December twenty eighteen. So a little bit more than a year now. Yeah, well. and the and the area we are here, this this kind of part of Andermat, is called Radisson Royce. Is yes, that right?
3: Which, because the the river that runs directly by the hotel is the, the Royce, which yeah. is a, which is a. Swiss oh right, uh, <laughs> I missed that fact. I should have uh, should have uh, got that
2: one. But in addition to the
3: hotel here. We've got a whole bunch of apartments as well, right. haven't we? They all belong to the same, same idea and the yeah. same project. And um, yeah, they're, they're real and estate. This is,
2: and this is where the kind of
3: payoff comes, because yes. as far as uh,
2: Sir, Sir Weiris is concerned, he managed to negotiate this amazing kind of exemption to existing yes. law, which previously had said that if you're, if you're not Swiss, then you were not able to buy a right. property
3: which now makes it possible for foreigners um, f- from the UK or from Russia or from the Gulf countries to, to buy a home or, or just as an investment as well yeah. in Andamat. And, of course, it's just a much, much bigger market if, than if it would just focus on the Swiss market. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think that exemption is obviously uh, amazing, but I understand that he's he his company are investing a lot of money because they obviously bought the existing lift company out because yeah. because i think the way you explained it to me is there is like a holding company which yes. is his yes and they own
3: the lift system right so the they, the andermatt swiss alps is is basically his holding company um, from his egyptian company which is called orascom yeah and they they own the chedi and they they own and run the the radisson and the same with the with the ski resort and the golf course yeah and also 17 restaurants which of course makes it easy for us to to do corporations with with each other yeah um, and it's also i think not not that common in 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 the alps to have these possibilities yeah
2: and and you know covering a lot of different ground because for example in the chedi okay it's a five star but i think you suggested to me i don't know if we're allowed to kind of say (laughs) this here but you know it attracts you know a certain type of celebrity who wants to go skiing but doesn't necessarily want to be seen in resort so
3: probably not not all of them but yeah there are some 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 people who just go there also maybe even not to go skiing, but just to enjoy the, the amazing spa they have and yeah. just relax and, and enjoy their off time. Yeah,
2: I mean, you mentioned Pep Guardiola. I
3: mean, Yeah, I'd say he, him, he's yeah. a fan of the golf course, for example. Right, well. okay. And I think he just enjoyed being on the golf course and nobody recognizing who he even was. Right, <laughs> okay,
2: that's good. And, and uh, you know, with the Radisson, you get a lot of corporate groups coming right. here. I mean, you've, we're sitting in one of the meeting rooms now. <laughs> I mean, the facilities are amazing. You've yeah. even got... Because of the mix, because I think Mr. Seweris is very into classical music. He loves classical music, yes. And, and therefore, attached to the Radisson here, we've got a top quality concert hall. Yes.
3: Concert hall. Yes. So it's, a, it's one of our, our USPs, but it's, it's quite multifunctional. So we use it for, for high class concerts. For example, the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra played for the opening. Yeah. Um, but we can also use it for, for meetings and, and corporate events. Yeah. which of course is is yeah just fortunate for us that we have so many yeah. possibilities. There's
2: not many ski resorts that can uh, can claim to have had uh, a National Philharmonic uh, Orchestra uh, play. And, you know, we were looking at the numbers that's been spent. I think that uh, we said uh, over half a million uh, Swiss francs on the uh, Chedi invested uh, 180 million in the lift system so far. I think this hotel cost about 200 million and there's, there's more to come as well. The next project is a three-star, more of a budget type of
3: property. So the plans are they're gonna hopefully start start developing and then building this this summer. Yeah. And there are four more apartments to come this year and another four next year. So the development will just- I mean, certainly, you
2: know, it's very exciting. And it's, you know, I travel by train, very easy to get here by train. It's the obvious way to get here if you're coming from you know Zurich or yeah. or, or, or Bar, but I've been ski touring the last uh, couple of days, uh, and uh, the off piece potential here is amazing. Yes, I mean it's. Uh, I'm sure the pieces are probably very good, and 180 kilometers a piece is a big is a big ski area. But I think that uh, it feels to me like Andermatt is more of a kind of an, an adventure kind of destination. Yeah, that's,
3: that's also what it used to be. So the, the Gamstock, which is our, our mountain that goes almost to 3000 meters, yeah. was almost, always famous for, for off-pist and, and free riding. Yeah. And that's, I think, why people came to Andermatt in the past. Now with the new developments, it's also opening up for, for families and, and, and kids and, and intermediate skiers. But it still definitely has a very, very strong yeah. fan base, and
2: the well, it's an amazing, it's an amazing story. The the what are we saying? The rise and fall, and rise and fall, and rise of uh, Andamat. Yeah. that's brilliant, Lars. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, for and uh, me. I'll certainly be hoping to uh, to come back come here back at some again, point yeah, in when the, the future. Are operating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. You don't need them. I mean, I've had a brilliant time uh, ski touring. Great. All right. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Well, it's definitely an interesting story. I think the story of all resorts and how they, they grow uh, is potentially quite interesting. But what's your favourite thing about Andamount? What was the best thing about it while you were there? Well, I think the irony is that because the lifts, even though the lifts were closed, um, I
2: really enjoyed the ski touring. You know, uh, we I, I always liked ski touring and, and getting away from it all. And I, I don't know, possibly it was being. When, on the second day we went ski touring, we didn't have a guide. So we just stuck to the piste. And we went up to Gucci, which is about 2,300, I think. And there's a very posh Japanese restaurant up there, which is operated by um, the Chedi uh, Five Star Hotel in Andama. And it would, the, the terrace was full of ski tourers eating their packed lunches that they brought with them. And normally, apparently, it's like, a, you know, 100... Uh, 40 uh, 150 uh, uh, chuffs per head and that just really entertained me it was a beautiful view and I'll probably never be on that terrace again
0: <laughs> do you um normally get a lift up and then tour from there or do you always start in resort uh that's a good question
2: I'm trying to think about different places I, I guess it depends where you are like, you know I, 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 there's on day one we took a we took a train and then we started from a bit higher on day two we started uh we started lower down and um, so
0: just depends depends where you are really um i think my my question was going to be that is it was it slightly different that you just toured up from resort and you didn't actually tour into anything wild you just turned into the the main hub which was essentially as quiet and wild as um, a normal touring route.
2: Yeah, I mean, in Courcheval earlier this season, um, I went from 1850 up to Salia and so that was all along the piece as well and I started quite early before the lifts were open, but um, that was a similar, similar, I suppose apart from the
0: fact that the lifts did open and the piece got a bit busy near the top. And less chance of um, contracting a deadly virus at that point. Well there we go. The story of Andaman, um an interesting tale. Let's um let's let's uh segue politely to another very interesting story. Ian, you'll be pleased to know I still haven't no I have. I have read um the whole of the Erna Lowe book, which is called Aiming High, and it's written by Mark Frey. Um interesting tale. What do you think? Frey um Prairie. Detail, Prairie. i mean i clearly can't read this morning i loved i loved i really enjoyed the book it was
2: excellent um you know i think we mentioned last time round. it's more than a, just a story of her life um as fascinating as uh, as it was it's a real insight into the history of the ski industry you know in the in the uk and how how everything has changed. I mean, you mentioned touring just then. When, when Ernelo was first, you know, taking people on ski trips, there were no lifts and uh, they they went touring. They used to walk uphill and then ski down.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, that's um, an interesting way, the way that we are so spoilt now as uh, holidaymakers in terms of what we get. But these were like the, the the middle upper classes going on what essentially was a rough and ready um you walk up the hill cook your own food sort of stuff and now we're 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 annoyed if the chalet host forgot to put a cake out
2: yeah yeah i mean you know when you say rough and ready you know in, in that era they had to i think i mentioned this in last week's interview with with mark but you know people used to have to you'd pay for your holiday costs and then you'd have your extras if you wanted to have a bath then it was a bit extra you know these days you mentioned tour operators getting yeah or getting a cake when you're on a chalet holiday pay extra for your uh for your cake pay extra for uh, a shower etc all of these things were added on partly because of the currency restrictions but it was still it was completely different i mean you know um Ensuite rooms—they didn't really exist. You know, you'd be off down the hallway to the uh, to the
0: shower or bathroom, of which there'd be one in the chalet. And some woman at the end making sure that you uh, weren't sharing the bathwater. Um, I've I got to say, like, it was—it's a really well-written book, and you know, you shouldn't have to say that, but I think you know, we've um, we've read quite a few self-published books and um, things like that because of the nature, I suppose, of our industry. But this this was written really well and the story of Erna was interesting enough, but like you say, I think uh the, the, the tale behind the rise of the British package um, holiday, specifically in ski. I mean, it's fascinating for me to read. Really, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Erna comes across as quite a, a challenging woman. Did you ever meet her, In Because my question is, would I be able to work for her? Would I have lasted? Would I have been one of these special people that she drew into a group? Or would she be like, you're an idiot, get out? She does
2: sound amazing, doesn't she? No, I, I never uh, met her. And so there was a slight crossover in the industry, but I I never knowingly uh, met her. And yeah, she definitely was you hear about people who, um, well, let's say she she sounds like she had a very low level of tolerance if you weren't her sort of person. But if you were, she was amazingly loyal and would look after you. yeah, so uh, formidable is what she normally seems to be described as.
0: Absolutely. So, are we uh, actually going to recommend this book?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely going to recommend it. Um, yeah, if you're interested, if you're interested in skiing and uh, a, a bit of ski history, for sure.
0: The other thing I found interesting about it, because obviously you and me both do marketing as um, part of our, our jobs is that, you know, a lot hasn't changed. It's still, you know, one of the core messages that I speak to my clients about is content is king. You know, content is a really important part of what you do to drive sales, not necessarily just, you know, basic advertising. And, you know, she was practicing that herself. She took um movies of skiing to villages and towns to show us content and then promoted her business on the side of the back of that, I think, you know, it's interesting to see how things haven't always progressed as much as we like to think they have.
2: I, I also thought she, you know, there's a reason that someone like her was so successful in the industry over a long period of time. You know, starting from, you know, 1932 when she first put on her first few trips and Erne Lowe is, is still around now. Although it was interesting to discover it had been out of business or gone out of business a couple of times. Three times. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, I did think she had a gift not just for products, but uh, you know, assessing what the right sort of thing that people w- would want to buy, and that shift from Austria and Switzerland to France and identifying France as being a destination when all those new resorts were built. I mean, to us now, you can look at Val and you can look at uh, you know Lapland and think, oh yeah, they're they're obviously purpose built resorts. But she was there when they were built, taking people there for the first time. But also a gift for marketing. You know, there's a picture in the book of um, a van that's been, um, you know, dressed up with a low Travel Service, and it, and it's a, the Winter Sports Advice Bureau, and it was touring the uh, the country offering winter sports advice, and
0: great piece of uh, marketing. I'm not sure you'd get away with that anymore. That would be um, a lie, wouldn't it? I've come to advise you about winter sports, mainly what I'm selling. Very good. Um, yeah, so definitely do buy it. Um, you can get it online, I assume. I don't know where. Can you buy it?
2: Yeah, yeah, you can buy it in in lots of places for sure. Uh, one point which will probably link into the next thing that I thought was very interesting is one of the reasons she was successful was she tapped into that post-war period where you had a lot of young people who hadn't been able to travel at all over like a six-year period. You know, they hadn't been able to go to Europe, and there was this pent-up demand. And she tapped into that and was able to use that to develop her uh, her business. And we're in this very strange period at the moment because of the coronavirus where people, you know, not booking holidays and maybe are, are wary about Uh, booking them for the future We're going to talk about that but there is a a there will be a pent up demand there and there will be an opportunity once people's confidence uh, you know changes and improves for people to take advantage because people will still go on holiday you know people love these days when she was doing it hardly anyone went on holiday overseas and now uh, it's massive so there's going to be opportunities
0: yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think even trying to link to um, this, the coronavirus section that we're going to do that. Um, my link was just as good, Ian. I was going to say, um, I mean, for the I'm interested to edit this because I can't wait to hear um, what my children have been up to in the background that I clearly can hear them right now. I think they're doing the noisiest yoga I've ever heard. Um, and then uh, they're coming up to have an argument about should they be doing some schooling? Um, so let's talk about why I'm it why everyone's um, in my house it's cuz it's coronavirus um so we must mention that we're in lockdown um, COVID-19 has shut down the world but how is it affecting our wintry corner of the globe um, personally I've taken it quite hard I've not really enjoyed it um, I mean I'm, I'm pretty sad about it I'm um, finding it hard to deal with um, but that's just a personal level I understand people are obviously struggling harder than me I can still go shopping and do things so it's not too bad um, but despite everything Ian you're doing all right
2: yeah, I mean, I work from home normally, uh, so I'm still working from home. I just have the family here as well and we're allowed to you know, get out and the weather's been good. So you know, as it goes and currently we'll see what happens after uh, after this month. But currently, you know, all my clients have kind of stuck with me.
0: So that's quite promising. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed indeed. Um, right. But. What was I going to say hmm interesting uh, I wanted to talk about EasyJet first of all because um, despite the fact that they've, they've all been grounded the flights have all been grounded so there's no more EasyJet flights um, anywhere um, uh, they are releasing their flights for the winter next year pretty early um, why do you think they're doing that do you think they're trying to beat the tour operators is it going to impact on the package holiday because people have just bought a load of um, cheap flights and then going to end up taking self-catered accommodation what do you think? No, I think the market's too big for that.
2: But I see it as a very positive sign. You know, skiers, the, the ski season is a long way away. I think there's reasonable uh, confidence that, uh, you know, we're all going to be able to go skiing next winter. And therefore, there's an opportunity. I think it's a, posit- it's a positive sign for the industry. You can book your flights right now for half term uh, uh, in February 2021. And therefore, there's considerable you know savings to be made. And, you know, any of those uh, uh, dates. And I think you mentioned in the previous episode, in our last episode, you know, we've got an opportunity to support tour operators. And uh, we, well, we've obviously got uh, some insight into, you know, what's going on with holidays that have been booked and cancelled. But I'm trying to get people, as you said, to, you know, be positive and look towards 20, 2020,
0: 2021. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a tough time, and you know some of this. Uh, it's interesting. Do you know what I think is probably the best thing to do? There's one person I've spoken to recently who's explained this quite clearly um, to me. Do you want? Do you want? Should we have that interview? Okay. Well, I've been uh, chatting to Dave From, who has become an expert on uh, is it ERP or EPR, um, EPG? I don't know. It's something. He's an expert on. Over the last few months, weeks, he's become knowledgeable about it, and he's going to talk to us about uh, European fight. Oh, I can't even remember what it is, Ian. Anyway, here's Dave. I'm joined by Dave from If You Ski, um, one of the UK's leading ski specialist travel agents. And I expect Dave you've been quite busy over the last few months.
5: Yeah, we certainly have, Jim. Um the uh unfortunately it's it's not been the good kind of busy. Um the only requests uh, that I think anyone in the um in the travel agency tour operator business um are dealing with at the moment is people who've had their holidays cancelled and who are either looking to get refunded or rebooked. Um, What it certainly does appear is that there are, um, for completely understandable reasons, uh, there are no new booking inquiries at the moment. So, uh, So we're just working on trying to find the best possible solution for our existing clients. Before we move on, David, I want to quickly timestamp this.
0: It is the the thirtieth of March. I've been in confinement for nearly two weeks. The UK have been in it, and this is all about the worldwide pandemic, the coronavirus, and the end of the ski holiday. Dave, people are obviously phoning you for refunds. What's the story? Are they getting them?
5: The story at the moment is that unfortunately. Um, at this point, a lot of people are phoning thinking uh, they will get a full refund because their holiday hasn't gone ahead. Um, and the, the difficulty that we've got is that we're unable to tell people they're going to get a refund, um, as nearly all of the uh, tour operators in the ski industry are taking the view that uh, they are holding on to customers' money and offering future booking credits rather than um, rather than refunds at this point.
0: So Dave, you're an agent, so you don't sell the holidays you can only do what the agent says uh, the the tour operator can say that you can do. Why do you think they are reluctant to give back this money? Surely there's a big pot that they can just give
5: back to the industry. um that's a that's a good point, and that's a question that we're getting asked quite often right now, and uh, as you as you say rightly we're we're an agent for many different tour operators, so um we do not control. Uh, we don't control what the tour operators do, and um, unfortunately, we don't control where the money goes and when. But uh, but no, it's 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 actually not the case that the money's just sat there in an account, and uh, and the tour operators are refusing to refund it. Um, they have they have absolutely gigantic overheads. If you think about uh, an, an Inghams, for example, or a Club Med, um, who've got hundreds, if not thousands, of overseas staff. Um, They've got huge overheads in running their properties. They've got charter flights. They've got massive food and beverage costs in resorts. So you pay your holiday balance at 10 to 12 weeks before departure, and you will will find that most of that, probably 90% of that, has been spent by the tour operator by the time you actually come to go on your holiday. So for those people who've lost a booking departing in the next four to six weeks – the money simply isn't sat in the tour operator's bank account, um, ready to be refunded, um, and it's it's the harsh reality at the moment, unfortunately, that if um, if say uh, if if say a tour operator of the size of um, Inghams or Ski World, perhaps, was to refund in full every single client who has just lost their booking, well, they would go out of business on the spot, um, which, uh, which which is a, obviously a scenario that they're all trying to avoid at the moment.
0: Now, it's my understanding that they're, they're waiting for ABTA to work with the government to make a ruling. Um, effectively, they're looking for a, a government subsidy bailout to help them and help the consumer. I mean, if that went through, then obviously there would be um, a different situation. Do you think the tour operators, they genuinely still want to refund? Were they Are they interested in doing that? You've spoken to a few, I assume.
5: Um i would say what i would say is i i it's a very difficult position for all of the tour operators i have spoken to quite a few of them um what i yeah what what i'm getting the um the over um the overriding impression is that nobody is taking any of this lightly um and absolutely no one is sit, sat there looking for um looking for ways to um to not refund clients but unfortunately what they are looking at is simply the, um, the the current picture is that if they if they give a refund across the board um well it's just it's just unsustainable no no business can possibly survive that um and yes you're right they um they they are certainly holding on um to see what changes the government are going to make to the package travel regulations as you know does, if that's going to happen or when it will happen um as for the timescale i can't be sure um certainly we've heard from abta putting uh, putting a lot of pressure on the um, on the government to change the package travel regulations on an, on a European level the package travel directive, which is the piece of European legislation that um, that the UK package travel regulations are based on has been changed which then allows the individual um, the individual governments to make changes to their own regulations and what everyone seems to be waiting on now is the UK government to agree. To change the package travel regulations because of the exceptional circumstances and uh, and allow for a rebooking credit rather than um, rather than a full refund, it is correct of course to say that under the current package travel regulations, they do specify that if your package holiday can't be fulfilled, then you are due a refund in that case, but what everyone is um, what everyone is saying at the moment is that the um, the regulations in their current form were never written with a global pandemic and the halting of all international travel being a, being a reasonable scenario. Um, and there, could we see some
0: lawsuits happening?
5: It might happen, actually. Yeah, I, I I can see that. I mean, even if they do change the package travel regulations to allow the um, the future booking credit instead of refunds. Uh, I would have thought there may be some people out there who'd be minded to challenge that and say, well, in fact, I booked my holiday when the package travel regulations said something different. Um, and the answer to that will probably be decided at the um, at the highest possible level.
0: Um, can I ask, so um, obviously you would be giving uh, lots of advice out. Um, one of those pieces of advice that people have been giving is to claim on insurance. Have you heard of anyone being successful at that? And secondly, Dave, and what other advice are you giving clients? Are you trying to um, be kind and what sort of kind? Um, are you advise what are you advising um, people to do? Are you saying, look, we need to support the tourism, uh, ski industry, otherwise it's not going to be there. What are you saying to them?
5: Um, the your first question there about insurance, I this this is a obviously this one varies massively from customer to customer because some travel insurance is all encompassing. Um, and also very expensive at the point that the the client has purchased it, um, but I have spoken to some clients already who have <laughs> their insurers and said um, my my tour operator isn 't refunding me at this point. Um, what can you do and the insurers have said that they will refund um, however equally um, i 've spoken to other Clients who haven't had the same luck. So that seems to be that, that seems to be entirely dependent on the um, on the level of cover, um, and the um, and the specific terms of your um, of your insurer. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of your second question, yeah, we're we're trying to take a sympathetic view on it because what what I've been saying to clients is uh, it's, it's pretty much the same across the board. If I was in your shoes and I'd booked a package holiday, um, and with uh, with everything that's going on in the world, I've I've just lost my lost out on my holiday. I'd probably, be, um, I'd probably be asking similar, and the first thing I'd look to do is, um, is to try and protect myself and get my own position sorted um, and get as much cash back into my um, bank account as I possibly can. However, um, that's always countered against the, um, the position of the tour operators, um, and we don't, we don't particularly like the position, but it is, it is a reality that there is not a tour operator out there. It doesn't matter how big they are there isn 't a single tour operator out there that has just got a bank account sat there with all of the money from every booking over the last say six or eight weeks of the season ready to refund people that that is simply um, a physical impossibility without tour operators going bust so I think we have to um appeal to the um, to the traveling public to take uh Um, to to take a different stance on it because if we demand that every tour operator refunds everyone's money in full right away um, this time next year we're going to be looking at a completely different ski industry far less tour operators far less choice and probably much higher prices to the um, to the consumers from the tour operators that are left
0: I mean he makes all the same points as us and you know that must be harder for him because he's in a position where he's selling holidays
2: for sure, I mean, for sure. But you know, you you must be like me. I Have clients who have a lot of holidays that haven't gone ahead, and they're you know trying to survive. Uh, and obviously, everyone is feeling a uh, like a cash squeeze, a credit squeeze uh, to a certain degree. So you know, so surely, I, think, I think in some respects there is an opportunity. The, the ski industry is slightly better positioned because if you're a summer operator then you really are truly uh, stuffed because you're not selling any holidays for June, July, probably August uh, either. Whereas at least, yeah, we only lost a few weeks of the season, which it might still be enough to put a bunch of people out of
0: business. But, you know, next season is far enough off to sell. I mean, it's interesting that um, tour operators holding off to a refund. I think there's a really big, difficult thing that they've had to do, right? Like you're alienating, say, a quarter of your seasoned clients and they may get so cross that they won't book with you again but then surely that the I mean the upside is that if they're all going they they refuse to refund us I'm still going to go skiing I'll book with someone else the chances are they probably didn't refund their clients so it's just going to be a little shunt around in terms of customer loyalty for a for a year or two so maybe that's a, a bonus point there
2: it could be i mean I, I wrote a blog post uh on Skiped the other day talking about how tour operators and companies might want to adjust their uh, marketing. And one of the things I suggested is that you you know you offer people a hundred percent refundable holiday because if you do that right now, then that will get over the the confidence issue. People aren't quite sure about uh booking. And OK, you might have to refund that holiday, but at least you're going to have a bit of cash flow and something going on.
0: But surely the confidence, the confidence is that the, the, the company might not be there next year.
2: Yeah, right. You think that's the uh,
0: issue? I was more about whether or not you're going to be allowed to travel? Uh, I mean, I don't know what people are thinking. I've, I often find the, the British public are very hard to
2: predict. <laughs> well, yeah, we've seen plenty of evidence of... Uh of that in the last uh, few years. Can, can I bring up something that's not on our, um, you know, uh, running order? Is it um, one of those quizzes it, where I don't know the answers? No, I think this one, you're going to know the answer. Um, it's Ishkol. Um You've probably seen this news about uh, Ishqal, you know, which um, was, and there was an outbreak of coronavirus in Ishqal, And that resort announced it was going to close before other Austrian resorts. And it came from a bar uh, oriented from a bar called the Kitzloch. And it transpires there's going to be a criminal investigation into whether or not there was a cover up over that uh, outbreak. And as this story is moving forward, uh, it looks as well that, uh, you know, there might even be a class action lawsuit against either the resort or the bar itself.
0: I mean, it's probably not the only lawsuit that's going to happen right now. Ian, I'm struggling to answer you because I've just got um, Shadzi, give me your virus, Shadzi, give me in my head, which you know is the wrong bar in Ishqal. Um So please don't sue me. Um, I don't know. I mean, did they did they know about it? Cover it up? Well,
2: I think we'll probably we'll probably find find That'd out. It'll be an interesting
0: uh... story, but you know, could that be the end of the resort?
2: But apparently, you know, a barman there, you know, had the coronavirus. You know, he was organising these games of beer pong where people put ping pong balls in their mouth and fire them out to try and get them into a beer. He had a whistle for controlling the game that other people were blowing as well. Uh, You can see how it spread so quickly.
0: I mean, surely, like if you're going to if you're going to sue a ski resort for that, then you may as well sue every airline, you know, every transport hub that keeps in- insisting that people could travel. Uh, it's a ridiculous idea. Like, that's how I feel about it. I don't, I I, I find this hard to be suable. You've just got to, people have caught it. I don't know. I've, I've not got a political, I've not got razor political insight on this one, Ian. Good.
2: I like that. You've got a, a very clear opinion. That's excellent.
0: Shall we um, shall we find out what someone in a resort is thinking at this moment or uh, is doing? Um, it's your mate, isn't it? Ed Mannix.
6: Uh, there's currently no real lockdown here in Switzerland, although we are encouraged to stay at home or at least away from other people. Skier is all closed on Friday the 13th, followed by the shops, bars and restaurants on the evening of the following Monday. Our last guests left on the Saturday, no problem. They were Swiss, so they just drove home. Whilst the Americans we'd had uh, left the previous day uh, on the flight, they'd already booked. So there was no problem there, although they were a bit concerned. Uh, We cancelled all bookings due to arrive from the 13th onwards and have offered either full refund, which was a bit painful, or rebook next winter, which a couple of groups have actually taken up. Uh, there's no lockdown, and whilst the resort is now pretty empty, except for locals, they have taken advantage of the early season close starts setting up for the summer's construction sites. So there are a few workmen wandering about. Uh, Ski touring is not forbidden as such. uh, Now that the piece have been taken away, the signs and barriers and markers by the edge of the piece have been taken away, uh, except uh, put the climat on, where it looks as though maybe they think they can reopen at the end of April. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, uh, that's the way it looks. Um, It is, however, discouraged to go ski touring, to avoid possible accidents which might otherwise use up medical resources which are required to treat uh, coronavirus patients. Um, we don't actually have any police controls because there's no lockdown. Um, and as far as local businesses are concerned with this summer, um, the summer season is usually pretty big here, in fact it's as big as the winter, uh, but at best everybody's pretty sanguine about it and they expect it to be relatively quiet, though you never know. Um, we're surviving it well. We, I'm catching up on paperwork, paying out vast sums of money and refunds, um, answering email, emails to people who want to know how we're getting on, um, taking walks with a wife, ski touring occasionally, I have to admit. Uh, but above all, we're staying away from other people as much as we possibly can.
0: There we go. And that's Ed's insight into Switzerland. It's still currently not quite as locked down as other places. You can um, seem to do as much as you want to do. which seems a bit crazy to me. But then, obviously, I'm in France and I can do literally nothing. It's
2: like being in. China. Can I mention someone else who's in France? Friend of the show, Alex Irwin, uh, who is in Courcheval.
0: Yeah, did he broke his leg, so he can't go anyway.
2: He did break his leg, uh, and uh, you know, it's taking him a long time to get anywhere when he goes out. So I don't know if you're limited by time. But he does uh, say that um, you know, in Courcheval, you know, it's fairly uh, relaxed. He, he has heard of uh, gendarmes checking the papers you know, that you have to take with you when you go outside down in Moutier. But, um, otherwise, you know, it's, um, it's not so bad, uh, around, um, in, in Courcheval. Uh, have your papers been checked
0: when you've been outside at all? Uh, not once. I mean, I've stopped taking them when I go for a run because I just, I can't be able to print them off anymore. My, my, my HP instant billing printer, um, uh, account has gone through the roof in the last few months. Uh, this last month is insane. Um, yeah, I haven't. I don't take it out anymore. I do have to write the time on it. That's because like, everyone was just writing whatever they wanted on it, like just having one in their pocket and then a pen. But now you've got to like write the time and stuff on it. I mean, I haven't seen a police. I haven't even seen a policeman. No, you, seen
2: to- you told me um, in a chat we had the other day that there's people out sort of touring and mountain biking. You see them out in La um, I
0: Haven't seen anyone touring, but um I think I left my binoculars in the other chalet which is a bit annoying um, i've got some good views of some mountains um, but i haven't seen any tracks or anything um but yeah definitely bouncing bikers um, where i um within the within the boundaries go for a run there are a lot of people cycling down and which surprises me because it's quite a tricky um path to cycle down in the first place i think but like I find it weird that um, uh, road biking is banned because, for me, that is safer than mountain biking. And you know, it's about being responsible and not putting too much pressure on the the resources, not not necessarily um, the sport itself. I think. I don't
2: know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. (laughs) Let's see how things progress for our next uh, pod in.
0: You'll be um, Michael Gove will be personally standing next to you to make sure you don't do anything. That's what's going to happen in the UK. Um, I don't know. Right, um, shall we finish up? Um, uh, have you got anything else to say? Ian? I've got to go teach. I've got to go.
2: Yeah, I've got it. I'm going to go and do Joe Wicks. He's uh, um, Monday morning. Does he know TA. about that? Uh, um, he, we keep trying to get a,
0: a comment read out, but he's got too many people doing it. No worries. You should try Fat Barry from Cornwall. He's much better. Right, um, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Get in touch with the show uh, on Twitter at the ski podcast. Um, On Facebook, you can find us or email in jim at uh, skipodcast.com or ian at the ski podcast.com. And don't forget to share us with all your ski mates. Right, thanks, Ian. Take care. Bye, everyone. See you, Jim. Bye.